by the time you hear this podcast, getting kicked out of a nightclub might be the best thing for you. I was at an after hours club and I run into this guy named David Bowie. And, uh, and he was sitting at the back of the room all by himself. And uh, so I walk over to him and I start talking to him because he lived in the same building as Luther Vandross and the Young Americans and all these guys. And, and um, so I say, yeah, man, Luther is my boy and blah, blah, blah. And we start talking and all David wants to do is talk about jazz. And I'm like, oh, really? And we're talking about everybody that we love and this one and that one. And he was into really avant-garde stuff. So um, uh, he, he asked me to come to Switzerland and, uh, and I think that the Swiss trip was some kind of audition. So I go to Switzerland, and David writes something that sounds like this. Um, uh, all right, he was playing like a 12-string guitar, so it sort of makes sense, but the 12-string guitar only had six strings on it. And he was like, playing like uh, oh, I know, it was like... I said, so David, what is that? He went, I want to call that song Let's Dance. And I went, really? <laughs> and he said, and he said, the exact word was, nah, darling, I think it's a hit. And I was so weird. I was like going, whoa, dude. Like, I come from dance music. You can't call that thing that you just played Let's Dance. So, so I, I, I went to Switzerland with music paper, right? I had all this manuscript paper with me because I didn't know what we were going to do. So I said, well, David, can I do an arrangement? And he said, sure. So I did, uh, I went. Something like that. And that was like sort of sounding cool, but it was a little dark. And then I just moved it up to B flat and went. And I went, uh-oh, I'm on something here. podcast i'm greg i'm ben that was awesome (laughs) (laughs) and uh thank you for listening to our show and and joining us on this nice friday evening where we're recording live and watching us on facebook live and if you notice something a little different on facebook live uh everything looks like in order as far as it doesn't look like things are in reverse (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we're trying to something a little different with our recording. And if you were seeing it from the beginning, you may have seen our logo. Uh, actually, let's show it to you really quick. Oh, there you go. So you see our logo right out. here. Oh, snap. And it's Dear Harris. How about that? Okay, back to us. Um, when it came up. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So um, 
if you are, uh, uh, if you have been listening to us and joining the Facebook live or uh, listening to the podcast, we definitely appreciate it. We do have some interesting things coming up in the next few weeks mm-hmm. and we'll let you know, uh, to take our podcast to uh, a whole nother level. I know, um, is it like Stewie Griffin hates when people say <laughs> saying a whole nother, <laughs> um, but yeah, so we, um, sure we're still recording here okay yeah recording is still going all right so um if you um well if you're watching this on facebook live you've already found our facebook page hopefully uh facebook.com slash by the time you hear this also you can go to our website by the time you hear this.com blog style website with links and articles uh, and videos to uh, topics we've discussed and you can listen to each episode i have updated it so <laughs> it does have our most recent episode on there. Um, the website and the Facebook page spelled with the word you Y O U. And if you want to get with us on our other social media, we're on Instagram at by the time you hear this spell with the letter U because we're upstanding. Yes, we are upstanding. And um, that is the same spelling for our email address. By the time you hear this at gmail.com. You can send us your comments, questions, concerns, show ideas. If you're an independent artist, we'll play your music and discuss it for absolutely no charge. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, oh, one more thing. <laughs> if you want to listen to us on the go, you can go to uh, many different platforms to listen to podcasts. If you have an iPhone, you can go through the Apple podcast app, a.k.a. iTunes. Uh, leave us a review, a five star review. If it's funny, we might read it on the show. Uh, I, that that could be fun, actually. Yeah. <laughs> it could be a lot of fun. <laughs> uh, also, um, if you have an Android phone, you can go to the Google Music app. That's where the podcasts are. And if there is a place to leave a review, we would like for you to leave us one. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're also on TuneIn Radio, uh, CastBox, Overcast, Auto Radio, and Satchel Podcast Player, and the thing about Satchel Podcast Player, you can find out other podcasts that are produced in your area or any specific area. So um, let's get into the show here. Uh, so uh, some interesting news came out last week um, after our last recording, but Jermaine Dupree is being inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Atlanta's own. So uh, yes. Atlanta has something to be proud of. Does he, you know, if he has his own like day yet, not that I know the city. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. And if not, I mean, come on, Keisha, (laughs) (laughs) she just got the job. Give her some time. And what better way to, to like, really, you know, we should be asking Atlanta happy. We should be asking why didn't Kasim do it? Maybe Kasim don't, (laughs) where's Kasim from? Cause I imagine if you're not from Atlanta, maybe you don't understand the importance of, Jermaine Dupree, like you weren't here, you know, you're like money in it. What's that? Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> he is from, Oh Lord. No, he don't get it. He's from New Jersey. Oh, he don't know. He don't get it. He don't know. And Keisha Lance bottoms. Yes. That is our mayor. Keisha. We got a mayor named Keisha is she's born in Atlanta, probably in Grady. See, she, she knows she knows she just got the job though. Yeah. So good. Give her some time. I guarantee, I guarantee you. She's probably like, Oh, he got inducted. 
he need today. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. Um, and she represented the SWATs. Oh yes. See, he's yeah, getting his knows. day. He's getting a day. She knows. <laughs> if he doesn't have one already, he will be getting one. <laughs> um, I think he's the second uh, hip hop artist to be inducted into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. I think the other one was Jay Z. Okay, I thought it was Nas. Oh well, we have to find out. Yeah, now. Now we got to look up. But yeah, yeah, <laughs> we have to find out. <laughs> Um, cause I thought we mentioned it on the show. Yeah, we did. And I that thought it was, was that it was Jay Z. And maybe, you know what? It might've been. And I think we said, we can't believe Nas isn't in there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, you're right. Yeah, it was. Cause he was the first. I remember that now. Yeah, and we did. And I think we were like, why isn't Nas? Or like, we saw some article. Well, that if said it, why if it was, in wasn't like last year. Yeah, it was pretty, it was pretty See, recent. So they're just getting around. They haven't gotten around to Nas yet. Yeah. Makes sense. They just they just started getting it hip hop. So that is kind of started high. considering. They just started considering rappers songwriters. <laughs> Even though all they do is write. Yeah. That's our That's yeah. how far we've come <laughs> in America. That's funny though. Like from Jay Z to Jermaine Dupri, is it because of all the th- stuff he wrote for Criss Cross? Is that what put him over the edge? <laughs> Criss Cross, the Brat, Usher, wow. Mariah Carey, Bow Wow. <laughs> Did he write for Jagged Edge too? I feel like he did. I wouldn't be surprised. They're, they're on his <laughs> label, so it's kind of like, you know, the Diddy of the South. It's basically what he was. Um, Don Chi Chi. <laughs> I used to be a huge, I mean, I have Life, um, life in, four, in 1472. Yeah, I had that album growing up. That was the, uh, I didn't know he was like, I knew him as a producer mm-hmm. when I was in high school. I didn't know he was a rapper <laughs> until that album. Yeah. And it had, um, uh, one of the first, like <laughs> a CD that I remember having in high school is um, whatever year that album came out. It was like, that year's yeah. rap nominees oh, for was. the Grammys. Okay. And he had two songs on there. He was nominated for money Anything with Jay Z. Okay. And he was also nominated. That was for best rap uh, performance by duo or group. Okay. And he was also nominated for best rap album. And the other song okay. they had on there was sweetheart, sweetheart, Mariah Carey with yeah. Mariah Carey. Yeah, um, that was the only time I bought that series of CDs. Which we talked when we talked about um, him. We talked about his work with her as well because I yeah. know, like he 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 brought her back. Yeah, he get when he that was after glitter. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so uh, there was a with him being inducted. There's a website here, theboombox.com. Yeah. They put together their list of his top 10 songs. Now, some of these are interesting because some of these I did not know he wrote. So uh, I don't think these, I don't know if these are in any kind of order, but it's probably just his 10 best. We'll yeah. just put it like that. So we have You Make Me Wanna by Usher, which right. was Usher's first like humongous single. Yeah, that put him on, that put Usher on the map. Yeah, that, that put him on the pop charts. Yeah. <laughs> which is definitely hard for black people to do. Um, Where the Party At by Jagged Edge. Mm-hmm. Featuring Jermaine Dupri, DeBrat, ROC, Lil Bow Wow, and Tigger. I think that's BET's Tigger because it's not. It's spelled with an I. Where's um? Where's Nelly? I thought Nelly was on this. This the remix. Then this is a remix because yeah. the, the original, well, the just... one I heard was Jagged Edge featuring Nelly. Nelly yeah. Hmm. Oh, okay. Well, All right. Maybe it's not uh, on Vivo. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Welcome to Atlanta, Jermaine Dupri featuring Ludacris. A the classic. remix had Nelly. Yeah, <laughs> that's a classic. The remix had everybody, like Diddy and 
Oh yeah, because in the video, there was a video for the remix to where it's Jermaine Dupri and Ludacris in Atlanta. Yeah, at Nelly in St. Louis. I remember like he was at a uh, Bush Stadium with yep. the Cardinals. I think Fernando Vina was in the video. <laughs> yes, yes, that's what that was. Yes. <laughs> Um, Diddy represented New York. Said they're building, we're building two more towers. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, um, Girlfriend uh, by Alicia Keys. Didn't know he wrote He that. produced that okay. and wrote it. Uh, Confessions Part Two by Usher. Um, I think you could probably say that um, as far as what he did production or uh, writing wise, mm-hmm. um, is confessions like his best work like for um like as a writer and producer as a whole as a whole maybe because i was gonna say i i actually prefer um the work he did with mariah carey but he never did everything like he never yeah you know did like as much but like during that comeback yeah he wrote we belong together mm-hmm. he wrote um shake it off yeah which i think we yeah. belong together was is a phenomenal song just yeah. as like it just a straight pop song like it's phenomenal um you know reminiscent of what she did what he did with her with um always be my baby yeah you know that's that's a great song too um it 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 be between that and um the album with you make me one which i cannot think of the name of that um, was uh, my way my way yeah both of those albums are really good and i think pinnacles of his writing and and production skills All right uh also on the list money hose power by UGK Featuring the main Dupree. Um, Grills by Nelly, Paul Wall, Ali, and Gip. Didn't know they did that. Didn't yeah. know they did that song. Yeah. Uh, we Belong Together. Classic. <laughs> uh, Functified. Remember that song? That is a classic as well. <laughs> uh, by The Brat. And, of course, Jump by Criss Cross. Which I didn't know, like, for a long time. Um, I didn't know he wrote. I didn't know he produced Jump. Mm-hmm. I found out Jump like later, but I didn't know he like he wrote everything. Yeah, I wrote. I found that out. Um, Disney Adventures. I don't know if you remember that magazine. <laughs> they did an interview with Criss Cross, and I didn't know who Jermaine Dupri was at the time. They just said like he writes everything for us, and I was like, who is this person? <laughs> Years later, I found out. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, those are according to that website his top ten songs. And he's also going to be releasing a 25th anniversary compilation for So So Deaf. Nice. Um, and it's going to come out this summer. It's expected to come out this summer. So, the uh, Brat, Escape, Bow Wow, Jagged Edge, Usher, um, Crisscross. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Maybe some I know Jay. <laughs> Hey, if we go in, if we go in there, I'm just saying she was on the So So Dev Base All Stars with her uh, her remix of um, Time After Time. Are they gonna put? Um, remember when? Uh, was it Ricky Bell? He did a When Can I See You Smile Again? Oh, yeah, the remix, remix of that. That was oh, on a So yeah. So Dev compilation. Oh man, that was that such there. a good. That's a great remix, that's by an, the way. That's an awesome remix. <laughs> Taking you back with that bell biv dev. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> oh man, that was awesome. Yeah. There's a video for it too. Oh, for real? Yeah. That's good. That's <laughs> so I'm, that's interesting. So um I'm seeing some more of the um nominees, people who are getting inducted. I saw Cool in the Gang 
mm-hmm. is getting nominated in there. I was trying to go through this list here to see if I recognize any of the other people, and I don't. <laughs> Maurice Starr, okay. Um, performing songwriters, okay. So this is interesting. Mariah Carey's going in. Tracy Chapman, Alice. Oh man, Alice superhero Cooper. Alice Cooper, superhero. <laughs> <laughs> Chrissy Hine. Okay, okay. Um, the Isley Brothers are going in. Ah, okay. Uh, Georgia's own Alan Jackson. He's got a highway named after him down to Noonan, in case you didn't know that. Cool in the Gang. John Mellencamp. Okay. So this is interesting. NWA. Why didn't they say that? And they're... they're... It's interesting that it has NWA. Well, are these are nominees? This is this just says these are the induct- people being inducted. And mm. it just lists each person, Easy E, Dr. Dre, Ice Cube, MC Ren, and DJ Yella. Honestly, publicly after... Publicly known as NWA. <laughs> um, well, I guess, well, I guess they, they get a piece of it. Um, if you look at NWA's history, um, it probably could be Ice Cube by himself. Yeah. <laughs> representing NWA. Did he write everything? <laughs> I mean, like, and Dre produced everything. Yeah. But... Yeah, <laughs> but so, it could be if it was for the songwriting, it could be Ice Cube by himself. So this one's interesting. I I figured he'd be in there. Tom Waits. I figured hmm. he was in there already. It, this must be a new thing, yeah. the songwriters <laughs> whole thing, because you know if these are people who are 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 getting in this year, this must be a new thing. Like who's gonna be next year? Is it gonna be like uh, <laughs> is it like oh yeah, Bob Dylan? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like and Tom Petty gets snubbed again. Like, what, like what are we yeah. doing? What are we doing? Or uh, <laughs> I was trying to think of one of the Tin Pan Alley writers. <laughs> <laughs> Been dead for forty years. <laughs> All right. Um, so yeah, congratulations to Jermaine Dupree and the other inductees. Mm-hmm. Um, I always want to find if it's interesting biopic news for um music biopics because you always wonder what they're going to put in and what they're going to leave out. Uh, so for me, I'm always wondering who's going to play. The yeah. <laughs> so, uh, got some news here that Paramount players in Imagine entertainment have launched development of a biopic on musician. They call him a musician. Give him, get him a lots of respect. There. Yeah, that is. That's yeah. Musician. Gucci Mane. Atlanta's own <laughs> Gucci Mane. Based on his, the autobiography of Gucci Mane. I wonder if that's what they'll call it then. No. I would call it Raydrick. I would call it Bird. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> like, kind of like, you know, like Ray, Raydrick. And that's it. Nothing else, just Raydrick. Or it might be called after one of his albums, isn't it? Wasn't it uh, The State versus Raydrick yeah. Davis? Yeah, it was. I could see that as well. I'm wondering who's going to play him. So you got to have both eras of Gucci. You got to have like fluffy kind of pudgy Gucci and then post prison. I'm in shape Gucci and I make good decisions. And people think I'm a clone. Yeah. <laughs> I make good decisions and I marry my baby's mamas. And <laughs> um, so yeah, the studio obtained rights, the life rights and uh, the movie rights for the book. Brian Grazer. Um, if you don't know that name, um, and I don't, I'm about to Google it actually. I think he's done a lot of stuff with like Ron Howard and Steven Spielberg producing movies. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, oh, I've seen him before. Okay. 
Brian Grazer and Erica Huggins will produce the project. Gucci Mane and Todd Mouskowitz will executive produce. So um, the book tells of his childhood poverty in Alabama has moved to Atlanta where he became involved in criminal activity. That's what the article says. <laughs> um, Sprint spent nearly three years in prison after pleading guilty to possession of a firearm by a convicted felon. And he began releasing mixtapes from prison while incarcerated with Migos and Young Thug. Uh, but seriously, I feel like there are like since Gucci got out this last time. Yeah. I feel like that's when people are first starting to hear of him. Yeah. Well, because he was on his way up. Like when he was, when he released um, the state versus Radrick Davis. Yeah. That was supposed to be his breakout. Like he had the song with Usher singing the hook, had the video. Like he was supposed to be like, all right, he's about to, you know, he like it, it was almost kind of reminiscent of how Ali was about to blow up when she released Don't Rock the Boat. And then, you know, of course, she passed away. I think this was like, oh, man, Gucci's about to blow up. He had just got on that remix to, um, oh, God, with Mariah Carey. I can't remember. What, like, he was getting all these projects. And then yeah. he goes to prison. And all you're left with is the, like, the legend that was Gucci Mane. And he's, but he's still releasing these mixtapes. <laughs> like, a lot. Like, have you seen his discography on Spotify? Yeah. He's got a lot. He's got like, a lot there. was on a there. whole lot. Like, he was, like, he didn't But it was sleep. probably one of those, like, well, he got like extended phone privileges because he's mm -hmm. probably just rapping over the phone <laughs> and just being recorded. And so like after he gets out of prison, like everyone's like hungry. Like, what's this dude? Because he didn't die. Like he's still yeah. alive. So we can actually hear what he wanted to do. And and then like just to his luck, like trap music started getting really big. Yeah. And like, you know, I don't know about you, but everyone that I knew who was Gucci fans called him like the trap god. Like that was yeah. Gucci. Like, oh, the you don't know Gucci, the trap god. <laughs> This thing, you know, the trap guy gets out of prison. Like, it's just like, oh, snap. We got a beat waiting for you, son. Here you go. Like, Mike <laughs> Will made it had a beat waiting. <laughs> it's like hot off the oven, man. It's, it's, I was going to give this one to Kendrick, but if you want it, man, it's yours. You want it? You don't want it? Okay, like, we'll, give nah. it we'll give it to Kendrick. Then, he probably you know? did. Um, he did first the Out the Feds instead. He yeah. did that song. He, did, he, he took that beat instead. He was like, go ahead and let Kendrick have one. Like... <laughs> Uh, Gucci has been on screen before he was in the drama birds of a feather and he was in spring breakers, which I still haven't seen me either. And I, I kind of want to see it, but I don't have the patience. No, I, I feel like James Franco is going to annoy the hell out of me. Probably looking like riffraff on there <laughs> when they just could have got riffraff. Yeah. <laughs> he just got, he uh, brought his own wardrobe and everything. <laughs> <laughs> Hair and makeup's already done. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I woke up like this. <laughs> um, uh, so it was acquired last year. Oh, no, no. Paramount Pictures launched Paramount Players last year. And um, they also acquired the rights to a movie called Eli. And um, imagine is also a producer for empire. They produce empire. So maybe Taraji P Henson will be tagged, dragged into this. Well, not, no, not dragged. Well, they want to just make tagged. an empire movie. Well, no, I'm just saying like, like imagine, imagine entertainment is producing oh, gotcha. the movie. Okay. Okay. So, and they produce empire. So Taraji P Henson or Terrence Howard may be yeah, cast in this. Some star. I don't power. know what, what <laughs> roles they would, ha they would have exactly, but it's possible. Yeah. Now, do you think that Gucci will play himself? He's young enough. So I mean, it depends on how quickly this thing gets made. 
Because, I mean, as, as, a, as cool as I think it would be, this is definitely kind of one of those, like, we're not going to wait. <laughs> like, yeah. we don't want to see how this plays out. You know, like, it's kind of soon to do a biopic on somebody who's still releasing. Like, that's weird to me. Well, it's kind of, I felt like they would, uh, I think, and people would probably, like, like call it out if they did it in the way of eight mile yeah. or get Richard die trying, which are loosely based on Eminem. And, and that's 50. what I, and I mean, maybe that's a way to do it and he can play himself and, you know, yeah, but I don't know. Like for me, I'm just like, you know, there's, I, I'm typically the one who's like, let's wait to see what happens. You know, who know, who knows what you can do in life. This could get more interesting, you know? Yeah. So I'll be interested to find out how that, um, how that turns out. Uh, I think a lot of people will be excited to see it. And if it's one of these big studios that's, you know, putting money behind it, yeah. it's going to like, look good. It's going to be written. I hope a black person writes it. I was, okay. was going to say, hopefully that, not, that's too, my thing. not too, I, I need a, I need a, I need a black person to write this movie. <laughs> if a, if a white person is, um, you know, you can call it racist or whatever, but, what, what, how would a white person know how to tell the story of this guy? I don't know. How? I mean, it's maybe he should, who, who wrote the book? Who helped he, him write he, the book? Well, I don't know. It's a, it's called the autobiography. He may have written it himself. Why doesn't maybe he should write the screenplay? He's still alive. You know, he's, you know, you know, if I'm, it's going to be a movie about your life, if you're still, if you're, you know, if, if you're alive while a movie's being made about your life, I think you should be involved in the writing yeah. process. So I was, because this made me think of all eyes on me. I haven't watched it yet because you know, I'm not into self torture. Um, I haven't watched it either. I'm looking to see who did that. And it was a black guy that did that. So well, who was it? Benny boom. Oh, he directed it. Yeah. Did he write yeah. the screenplay too? Uh, let me see. Written by Jeremy Haft. Let's see who that is. I have my doubts right now. Cause I was like, it don't always, you know, okay, maybe we do need to get a black dude. Yeah. See, and a, and a, and a white person wrote uh straight out of Compton and Eddie Gonzalez was a writer on there. Uh, no, see, we need, and he's Hispanic. Uh, <laughs> I don't care who it is. Lee Daniels, Tyler Perry, Spike Lee, Tyler Perry, Tyler Perry presents. I, <laughs> <Radrick>. <laughs> I don't care. I need a black person to write if, to write the screenplay. If I swear, if Gucci comes out dressed like a woman, <laughs> I, no, he is not. No, Tyler Perry would not sneak Medea into this. Farting and carrying a gun. I don't need to see this. I don't. I don't think he's going to sneak a, sneak Medea into this movie. Girl, what you talking about? I'm a bit of rapping trap. <laughs> pop, pop, pop. <laughs> I'm telling. I'm t It's gonna if it's if it's him. So if it's Spike Lee, of course, it's gonna be. It's Tyler gonna be, Perry presents Medea in the trap. It's gonna be <laughs> extra serious and set in New York. If it's Spike Lee, <laughs> no, he went to he went to Morehouse. I it can be in Atlanta, Morehouse, but he's I don't know. School Spike, days was in Atlanta. Spike Lee is just so New York to me. Like he's just like I just imagine if he makes it, Gucci's gonna be that's home. Like a, this is this is like this the. The unofficial second home. He you did school to, days here. You have to just ensure me he's not going to be wearing a Knicks jersey or a Brooklyn Dodgers <laughs> jersey. <laughs> and half of it's not going to take place at a pizza shop. I just, I can't. <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> Sorry. I just, I'm just playing off of every, yeah, I know. Um, uh, yeah, no, maybe we do need to get a black guy to write this. Yeah. 
Yeah, because the the dude, the white guy, nothing against white people, but the white dude that wrote this looks like he's never oh, listened uh, to a Tupac record ever. The other, uh, what's the name? His name was Chio Coker. I can't remember what what screenplay he wrote. It's it's on the tip of my brain, but um, yeah, that's him. What it, he? I know he wrote something. He's got an image award, so oh, he wrote Notorious. There we go. He wrote a screenplay. For Let's Notorious. get him. Notorious isn't, it's not that bad. It's probably better than uh, All Eyes on Me without having seen All Eyes on Me. Well, he was a producer <laughs> for Luke Cage, which is excellent. And yeah, I've heard yeah. Ray Donovan's really good. I haven't seen it. I've heard Southland is very good as well. That's so. that's the guy. That's the guy so who, needs to write, okay. who needs to write the screenplay. NCIS, NCIS Los Angeles. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> you know, no, no. He's writing for that because that's easy money. <laughs> Is that that show still in the air, right? <laughs> no. Well, he only wrote for it for for a year, and uh, yes, he made a lot of money though. It is still in the air. You know what? You know how it is with CBS. Every show is number one. Chris O'Donnell's on NCIS Los Angeles. Well, LL Cool J. Yeah, that's a pair if I've ever seen. It. <laughs> Robin and a rapper. <laughs> so I know he did more than Robin. That's just what I know him for. All right. So uh, yeah. We need, we need a black person to write the Gucci screenplay. And now Nia Long is on there in the ninth season. That's been on for nine years? Nine years, 205 episodes. Wow. Good luck. I don't know how it is with, with, with CBS to where their shows are just, they're on there until like the creator of the show is like, all right, we, we're, we're done now. Maybe they're like, they get, they get, they get to do series finales. Maybe they're doing it like Enron and they're just fudging the numbers. And so people think they're actually doing. Well, they've been doing that are, for a long time. And no one's calling them on it. Because <laughs> every show is number. They they make every show number one in some kind of way. <laughs> the number one new comedy that comes on at nine on Wednesdays. <laughs> when it's raining. <laughs> and there's, and there's, no, there's no other comedy that comes on at nine on Wednesdays. When it's raining. Like, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I guess technically you're right. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, but they um, yeah. If he wrote for NCIS for a year, they paid him a lot of money. I, I hope so. <laughs> they had to pay him a lot of money. All right, let's get to the charts here. Um, the top, the Hot 100. We we'll go to top ten. Number one, still number one, God's Plan by Drake. Number two, Perfect by the most influential artist in Black music. Number three, Finesse the Remix by Bruno Mars and Love and Hip Hop Legend Cardi B. Number four. Havana by the artist formerly known as Fifth Harmony featuring Young Thug. <laughs> I forgot about that one. Number five, Rockstar by Sirius Malone featuring 21 Savage. Number six, New Rules by Dua Lipa. Number seven, Pray For Me by The Weeknd and Kendrick Lamar. That's from the Black Panther soundtrack. I figured, I figured. Number eight, Stir Fry by The Migos. Number nine, Meant To Be by B.B. Rexa and... The Nickelback of Country, Florida Georgia Line. Good for them. They're, they're <laughs> doing something. <laughs> and number 10, Bad at Love by Halsey. All right. We'll get to the Billboard 200. And we told you it was going to be number one. And it is the number one album, Man in the Man of the Woods. Man, or of, Man, the Woods. In, oh, Man of the Woods mm -hmm. by Justin Timberlake. And the page is still loading. Named after his son, apparently, because he said, I'm not a I don't go in the woods. I'm not a hunter. It's named after my son. Uh, number two is Culture 2 Migos, which was number one last week, fell down. Um, still hanging in strong. Number three, The Greatest Showman soundtrack. What is with this soundtrack? I don't know. 
being carried by a sail. Maybe by they're, uh, they're um, Australia. Maybe is carrying it. I don't know. <laughs> it's for Hugh. It's for Hugh. Know. It's for Hugh. Yeah. <laughs> Divide uh, by Ed Sheeran still up there. Wow. Okay. Uh, Twenty four karat magic. That's crazy. Bruno Mars. Uh, number six, Stony by Sirius Malone. <laughs> uh, number seven, Damn by Kendrick Lamar. Number eight, uh, Camellia by Camille. Why did I say Camellia? <laughs> Camilla Cabello. Um, the for- the artist formerly known as Fifth Harmony. Uh, number nine, Love is Rage 2, Lil Uzi Vert. How and is that back up here? I don't know, but this is about to blow my mind. Now 65 by various artists. <laughs> Now 65 for everyone. And please look at me. If you bought now 65 Spotify, uh, that's that's Apple it. music. Yeah. Don't SoundCloud. What are we doing? Why children? are you still buying these? <laughs> like whose grandparents <laughs> bought this for them? As we, I know. I think last year we talked about now 64 and it, yeah, it was on the charts and so, it, it was, it was, I think it was like, I think it debuted at number one. I'm not sure. Someone's grandmother. But it's always in the like, top ten. Whenever it comes out, it's I'll, at least in the top ten. That is ridiculous. Luke. Lucas will like this. Yeah. What's on now sixty five? I don't even want to know. Let's see. <laughs> like when we were in high school, if you know how old we are, when we were in high school, they were making these these mixed these were like mixed CDs for people who didn't have a CD burner Why or is, knew how to use Napster yet. I don't feel like dancing on now six hold on, let me see here. That can't be right. I don't feel like dancing is old. Now that's what I call music sixty five. That can't be right. This was released in two thousand six. Oh, that's the UK one. Okay. Okay. Yeah. I was like, yeah, okay. okay, here we go. Now that's what I call music 65 US series. Okay. Okay. So ready for it. Taylor Swift. Sorry, not sorry. Demi Lovato. Havana. No rap version, which is a very common thing to do on the now CDs. Because that's what the suburban parents are afraid yeah. of. Mi gente. Uh, J Balvin, Willie William um, featuring Beyonce. Best friend, I've not heard this. Sophie Tucker, you know what? I might have heard this because I've heard some remixes by the Knox. Um, no Limit, G Easy, ASAP Rocky, Cardi B. But they that's a that, they got rappers on. They got Gerald Easy and because it's Gerald Easy and ASAP um, Rocky Balboa <laughs> and Love and Hip Hop All Star. Who is what is Let You Down by NF? I don't know what that is. I Fall Apart by Sirius Malone. Yum Dung and Broke by uh, Khalid. Uh, was it Faking It? Calvin Harris featuring Kalani, Kalani and Little Yachty. Um, Wolves? I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. By Selena Gomez. Too Much to Ask. Niall Horan. Beautiful Trauma Pink. Let Me Go. Oh, that's the Haley Seinfeld and um, Alesso featuring the Nickelback of country music. Lights Down Low featuring Max and... Is it, is it Nash or Janash? Ganesh? I don't know you said. I don't know who that is. Silence featuring Marshmallow. Marshmallow featuring Khalid. I've never heard of these songs. Unreachable, Skateboard, Made of Gold, There for You, Like a Feeling, Look at the Monet. And like only two of the artists who made these songs have pages on Wikipedia. I don't even know. I, I haven't even heard of those artists. So now, they, now how many songs is that? Too many. It's 22. Why? I feel like those last few artists might have won a contest to get on here. <laughs> Oh, let me see. Now that's what I call 64 peaked at 12. It looks like. 
This is interesting. Ooh, number five for uh, 63. When did when did 63 come out? August 4th, 2017. Oh, that's the one we were talking about. Had I'm the we one. talked about now 63. So now they're, they're still releasing. When was the first one? I feel like the first one was like 2000. Oh, um, uh, it probably. Yeah. But so on average, they're releasing like four or five of these a year. Too many. Like they're just like, they're releasing. On, oh, okay, well, so two or three, no, two or oh, three. we were off a couple of years. So the first one, um, which the leadoff single on that one was "Together Again" by Janet Jackson, came out in 1998, October 27th, 1998. Twenty years. Twenty years. Why? Why are we still? Why are we still doing this? Mm-hmm. We just told y'all Best Buy is not selling CDs anymore. Yeah. Zoot Suit Riot was on there. Umbop. There's another store that's going to be well. They're they're changing up how they sell CDs. Target. How are they doing it now? To where um, the store pays for, you know how like artists seem to go platinum, yeah. but it seemed like no one was buying their CD. Yeah. It was because the, the store would buy the CDs. Oh yes. I, it's it's um, unit shipped. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's how they go platinum. If it's a million shipped, but what target is doing is they're going to, they're, they'll buy them, but whatever they don't sell, they, they send, send them back. back and get their money back. Smart. <laughs> So it's going to be even harder to go platinum. To go platinum, you may sell a thousand. <laughs> they may what ship is... a million, but you sell a thousand. Shorty, you keep playing with my. Oh my god, I remember that song. I'm. I'm I don't remember them. I, I recognize everything else on now one. Did not remember Shorty. You keep playing with my mind, but I remember them now. That's funny. Oh man, Barbie girl. <laughs> Y'all need to stop. Black, Stop it. Black Pole said it. So how many one hit wonders on here? Fastball. Um, could you say All Saints was a one hit wonder? Yeah, in America, yes. Um, Cherry Poppin' Daddies, mm-hmm. Aqua, mm-hmm. um, Marcy Playground. So there's five one hit wonders on here. Technically Casey and JoJo. I mean, they were a part of Jodeci, but as a duo, did they do anything else that like was a major hit? They had a song that was on Save the Last Dance. Okay. And they had a song that was on the Life soundtrack. I love that song. I think R. Kelly wrote that song for them. Tonic. Well, they had they had a couple of hits. They had a couple of hits. Everyone only knows one. And Imagine. So that's six. That's six one-hit wonders. Wow. Whoever is responsible <laughs> <laughs> needs to stop with these now albums, man. No one. Who is buying these? Clearly, someone. When, when does the when does the shipped rule kick in with Target? Yeah, Walmart need to be doing the same thing, man. No one is buying these. That's funny. No grandmothers. That's who's buying it. And somehow this is all, and somehow uh, Fye is still in business. Shut up! Is it really? There's yeah. there's maybe like a dozen stores in the in the whole country. Right? There's one at um, Sugarloaf Mills. Uh, they closed the one in Douglasville. No, it's still there. They just changed the logo. <laughs> I thought it was gone. Yeah, FYE is still open, man. Oh, we can still make it there. They close at 10. Sack, <laughs> like I'm not going there. Oh, man. All right, so um, let's get to the uh, Artist 100. They don't even have a million followers on Twitter. That's sad. You're a chain. <laughs> do better (laughs) (laughs) all right the artist 100 well he released an album that is the rule that's the rule he's always number one justin timberlake number two the most influential artist in black music 
Number three, Bruno Mars. Number four, Drake. Number five, Migos. Number six, Kendrick Lamar. Number seven, love and hip hop legend Cardi B. Number eight, the retired 2K legends. Number nine, Chris Stapleton. And number 10, Sirius Malone. I imagine Chris Stapleton probably got some shine from Man in the Woods. But unlike uh, unlike Cardi B, he did not outshine. <laughs> yeah, he, not, he wasn't outshine. <laughs> he didn't outshine Justin Timberlake. Cardi B like really came up. She was like, "Bruno, who? Like you're on his song? Yeah, I know, but you know somehow I'm higher on this <laughs> list than he is." <laughs> it's it's so crazy that again, and I probably said this several times, her rise to stardom, superstardom. Yeah. In a matter of months. It almost like it was almost like it happened overnight. She still doesn't have an album out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking of someone who's going to be making an album, uh, apparently Nicki Minaj is back in the studio mm. for anyone who cares, who cares. <laughs> it's been, uh, it's kind of weird for, if you're a singer, you can go four years between albums. But if you're a rapper, it's like, you cannot. that is like, ten, that's you might as well take 10 years off. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably not even taking time off, you know? Um, probably doing features. And- yeah. and But it's not looked at the same way as far as being a rapper and releasing albums. That's what we said that like Future released an album like every six to eight months. Mm-hmm. Drake and, drops uh, one every year. <laughs> yeah. So he he's he just put out two songs, so you know he's coming out yeah. with another one. And he drops him he usually drops around the same time of the year too. Yeah. Yeah. He's trying he's trying to uh he released it just in time for the for the NBA All Star game. So mm-hmm. it's gonna be played at all the parties there. <laughs> <laughs> and um and then it'll, it'll get uh since he thinks he's a recruit at Kentucky, they'll get excited. Mm-hmm. So It'll be like Kentucky's March Madness song or something. He thinks he's a player. Yeah. He thinks he plays for Kentucky. <laughs> like, why are you in the layup line? Get out of there. And then um, by the spring, it'll gather some more momentum. Maybe the album will come out. Mm-hmm. And then he'll have another song that will drop for the summer. All summer 18. All summer 18. <laughs> so he's got a formula. Yeah. But not everyone. I feel like that's something you have to this point you have to get to yeah like not everyone gets to that point like that's like to to have that kind of um control of your schedule and how you release your music uh not everyone gets to do that especially as a rapper yeah he's, he's become like a sports game like yeah. he just comes out every, yeah like as soon as he, he finishes the first one all right y'all let's start making the next one for next year <laughs> the thing again the thing is like with someone like future he um he was just putting out material. It was like I don't know if he like just did one take of it or <laughs> it was just a bunch of stuff. Well, it's auto tuned like nobody's business, so he can probably make mistakes and you can't tell. Yeah. <laughs> it's like auto tuned and distorted, and you're just like, ah, that wasn't the best take, but let's just run it. Let's just use it. And it'll have like one one hot song on it. Yeah. And then you hear another hot song from Future and you think it's another single off the same album. No, different it's a totally album. different album. Yeah. It's like he just came out with one last week. I believe that's the Black Eyed Peas method. They did that for a while. <laughs> <laughs> I still haven't listened to that song to where they don't have Fergie at all, but they sound oh, like I forgot pre-Fergie about, Black Eyed Peas. I forgot about that because, you know, probably no one cares. 
They're like, where's Fergie? <laughs> oh, she's on a song with Nicki Minaj. We'll go listen to that song. We'll listen to that one. <laughs> oh, man. Um, so, uh, yeah, we have no other music news to discuss. Yeah. Not a lot happened since our last episode. Um, people are still talking about the Quincy Jones interview. Someone asked me about that at work, <laughs> how I felt. It's like music to my ears. <laughs> like that was brilliant. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Uh, so Ben, let's get to your earworm of the week. Got to go with killer whales by uh small pods. I like this song. It's really cool. okay. I got small pools, small pools. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. You're right. I okay. Small, I said, meant small pool, pools. Yes. Okay. The name of the song is Killer Wells. It's a very funny song. If you listen to the lyrics, let them into your heart. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this is, um, let me get it queued up here. All right. So this is Small Pools by Killer Whales. Oh, Killer Whales by Small Pools. <laughs> oh, Killer Whales by Small Pools. Uh, I've never heard this song, so I'll be hearing it for the first time along with you listeners, possibly. And uh, we'll be right back. That is Killer Whales by Small Pools from their album Love Tap with an exclamation point. Where'd you hear that song? Spotify recommended it <laughs> on my Discover playlist. Um, and I fell in love with this very energetic song. Big drums. I like, ever since I started playing drums more, I noticed I like songs with big drums. And this is this song has big drums. 
All right, so you guys can check that out on our BTT YHT Earworms playlist right now. And uh, and enjoy yourselves. <laughs> celebration. All right, so uh, for our primary topic tonight, we started the show with a story that now Rogers told about producing Let's Dance for David Bowie, one of David Bowie's biggest hits. I think it's his best-selling album. I believe that is true. Let's look that up to confirm. And um, the it had the signature Nile Rodgers guitar sound. Mm-hmm. And that is correct. It is his best-selling album. Yes. All right. So uh, we'll be discussing the production history of Nile Rodgers and Bernard Edwards. Mm-hmm. You may, if you don't know those names, uh, you definitely heard one of their songs. Yeah. Um, well, let's dance for one, but also if you are familiar with the band chic C H I C, uh, they were called the Lennon and McCartney of the disco era, which is a interesting moniker to give. Them. Yeah. In light of recent events. No. Yeah. <laughs> I think they were clearly better, yeah. better musicians. Yeah. They're, yeah. Far and away. That's, that's an understatement. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, well, we'll start with you. I think I always ask you first. Yeah. Uh, with the, um, what's the first thing you think of when you hear, you know, if you see that a song is produced or written by Rogers and Edwards, uh, what, what are the attributes that stand out to you? I think of that guitar sound. So I know we talked about, um, now Rogers has kind of a signature guitar sound and it's funk, but you just, even though it's funk, you know, it's, you still know it's him. Yeah. Um, and then with Edwards, just his style of bass. So, um, one thing I do wish I could do sometimes is, is, is go back and listen to something with 1970 ears. Cause we're listening to everything with like, you know, 2018, you know, 2000 years or whatever. So there's not a lot that's been done. So you really have to be a student of this stuff to really understand um, what it was, what it was back then. So of course, you know, like um, musicianship, of course, was, was much, much, a much bigger thing back then. Um, A lot of things weren't overproduced. You know, you hear about old artists and how like, you know, in the studio, they didn't have computers. (laughs) No. So like, you know, real to real tapes. Yeah. They had tapes, they had, you know, mic, miking um, techniques and things like that. So when you go back and listen to them, they had a really good sound for when they came out. Um, when you think of Chic and then you think of some of the other things they've produced. I was familiar with some of the things that Nile Rogers had produced by himself. Not as much familiar with what they had done together. So in studying up on this, you know, going back and I, like I mentioned, listening to. Um, so one of the songs I, I really remember, We Are Family. That sounds like a Chic song. So when I go back and hear that, like a lot of it was kind of like, let's just take the sensibilities we have from our band and put them into other artists. Whereas the things that I heard that were produced by Nile Rogers, it was kind of like you heard, that's when you really got to hear him. Like, I don't think the things that he did sounded as much like chic. They were just funk. So, you know, as we were sitting here talking about Let's Dance, I thought he'd only produced the song Let's Dance. Mm-hmm. Didn't realize he did the whole album. And now realizing that all of my favorite songs by him outside of maybe like um, 
which I thought Young Americans was on here, but it's not. But like Modern Love, love that song. Let's Dance, love that song. I really thought that um, Young Americans was on here too, because that sounds like a song that he would have done with him. I don't know why, but yeah. So like, I, I think the songs that he did by himself kind of really expounded expanded upon like what he was good at, which is funk. He was a really just really good funk guitar player. Uh, the thing that was interesting about this song, uh, aside from the fact that it's still probably played in every cheesy <laughs> movie you can think of. It's like uh, a montage type of song, too. Yeah. <laughs> um, and famously, the theme song of the 79 Pittsburgh Pirates who won the World Series. Really? Okay. Yeah. Um, and with this song uh, from a documentary, a BBC documentary, I, I don't know why no one else like makes as many documentaries as much of the BBC does, but they did have one on Nile Rodgers. And basically with writing this song, this is sister sledge's second album. Mm -hmm. They were, they were doing, they had some success in Europe, but they want to have success in the States. And he, uh, he and Rogers, excuse me, he and Edwards were talking to their, um, the head of the record company, and he was telling them that, yeah, you know, we got, we're, we're like a family, you know, and, <laughs> and, you know, we, we just all want to get together and, and, you know, do our best. And, and, and basically what he was telling them turned into this song. Mm, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, so just with like the relationship that Sister Sledge had with their record company and having a family oriented atmosphere and it's a family act. Yeah. Um, you know, it was just. It, I mean, it, it it is what it is. The songs, is, you yeah. know, what it's supposed to be, you know. Uh, so I thought that was interesting. How you know the song came together from a conversation, and they use some of the uh, some of the some of the lyrics are like something the record executive said. Yeah. I'm, so I'm looking here because it you can kind of hear the bass on it. So I mean, that's kind of. And as I was reading up on his technique they call it kind of like a chunking bass sound is what they kind of called called it um like you can tell bernard edwards played bass on this like you can hear it you can hear that you know now rogers played guitar on this it's you know they just they had a they did have a style yeah um which is something that's very important to have like you know most really good musicians will have you know something that makes them oh this is interesting simon Lebon um did some additional vocals on here that's funny um, on what? On this record. <laughs> Sister Sledge? It said a 1984 mix, yeah. He had, oh, well, yeah. Uh, I guess when they did uh, some. A background vocalist actually on We Are Family is Luther Vandross. Okay. I wonder if he, did he meet him through, was that the first time he met him through Luther Van through David Bowie? Or did he meet him and then he met David Bowie through Luther Vandross? I think he met David Bowie through Luther Vandross. Okay, because I know Luther Vandross was one of his backup singers, too. Yeah, Luther Vandross was a member of, uh, technically a member of Chic. Okay. Um, They had their, was was interesting, like, with Chic, with Chic, you think now Rodgers and Bernard Edwards, you don't think, like, who the lead singer is. Exactly. Or any of the vocalists. (laughs) Like, it's it's one of those rare, I can't even think of any other examples to where the musicians, I guess you'd say Steely Dan, but still... Maybe um, Kenny Wayne Shepherd. Donald Fagan is the lead singer. Yeah. <laughs> but um I mean maybe there's one to where yeah. the musicians are like the front men and the vocalist is like the, the afterthought. Like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um but Luther Vandross is one of their one of their house vocalists. Okay. I guess you'd say. 
kind of like a um a Michael McDonald then I would guess was Tilly Dan just yeah he was played keyboard and song backup okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and what was interesting is that like like Luther Vandross was a background was a backing vocalist for Sister Sledge on their albums but the way that it was produced um they didn't really use the sisters that much there may be like whoever's going to sing lead on it yeah and i see it they, i see the you know divided up and stuff like that on yeah. Kathy Debbie and Joni but it was a it yeah. was they were going for a specific sound for the song and it's going to sound it's going to be um i guess different from what the sisters had vocally mm-hmm. so they needed more um and it's a yeah. good it's a really good track so i mean i'm not terribly familiar with a lot of the the rest of the album but i knew that song very well and as soon as i saw that it was written and produced by you know rogers and edwards it all made sense <laughs> it all made sense i was like well duh it's right there like i should have known when i heard it um I'm, i wouldn't be surprised if at one point i thought it was chic because it <laughs> sounds so much like them um and then sort of you kind of hear the same thing with upside down um by Diana Ross from her album Diana you kind of hear the same thing like it's kind of got that same you know and you kind of hear you know him you hear Rogers kind of raking on the guitar which is a very common funk technique where you um it's like of course funk music is very staccato when you're playing it so the bass is going to be staccato staccato meaning short and like short and punchy um and so then the way that a rhythm guitar player would play um funk music is like you know staccato chords very quick choppy and then like raking is where like instead of actually fingering the chords you just place your hands and kind of mute the strings and you rake the pick up and down yeah so like you hear that a lot on funk and like that's a technique he employs a lot of funk guitar players but he employs to his effect and you kind of hear it in the beginning of this song a little bit uh was interesting about with this album this is uh, from Diana Ross's Diana, mm-hmm. uh, which became one of her biggest selling albums, if not the biggest. I see a trend here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, this came out after the you remember the Disco Sucks incident? Yes. <laughs> this was after that. Um, you know, even with the backlash that acts like Chic were receiving, um, Diana Ross still wanted this. She still wanted uh, to work with them. Yeah. She still wanted that sound, and um, and they 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 do upside down. Yeah. And I'm coming out from Diana, which that got me too, because that's the one song that I heard that I did not. I thought that was a little bit of a new direction. It did not sound like chic. Mm. It sounded different. Listening to it, like okay, yeah, not saying they couldn't do it, but I was like, I wouldn't I wouldn't have pegged them for that song. Let's play. Let's play that song to where I guess what uh, talk about what you what you hear that sounds different. So like the guitar playing isn't is a little bit brighter than what you normally get from him. Brighter meaning like maybe he like whereas he might have the tone at five and for some people this might not make sense. Um, typically, you know, on a on your guitar you have tone and volume controls. You might not mess with the tone as much. So he might have had the tone instead of like, normally Roger sounds like he plays with it maybe like between five, six, and seven. He might have had it all the way up to 10 to where it gives a little bit of a brighter sound. And the bass wasn't as punchy. Like I just, I would have never pegged them for this one. It just didn't sound, and some of the chords sound a little more, sound a little fuller. I don't know. It's, it's, it just sounds a little different. Like I would have, I wouldn't have pegged them for it. 
Sorry, this is the album version. It was like five and a half minutes. <laughs> um, and then, of course, they got yeah. some money off of it for, you know, more money, more problems. Yeah. Uh, Upside Down was sampled by uh, MC Light. Well, oh, yeah, it was. MC Elliott. Yeah. Um, a lot of their songs have gotten gotten sampled, of course, by mm-hmm. Diddy, I feel like. He sampled a lot of them. <laughs> but, yeah. Um, uh so yeah, it was it was with with that song like they it was still kind of disco esque or that post disco yeah. which I feel like was just made up within the last few years. But uh, <laughs> Every, post everything. Um, but uh, despite the backlash that they were receiving, they, she still wanted to work with them. And um, do you know? Did it say if if Diana was her best selling album? Uh, let's see here. I feel like it is. Mm, it's sold 9 million. Yep, it is the biggest selling of her career. 9 million records mm-hmm. <laughs> worldwide. Mm-hmm. Three international <laughs> hits. Upside Down was one of them. I'm Coming Out in My Old Piano. Okay. So, yeah. Um, they, uh, and, one, and one thing that was interesting, it was kind of like how would, would more define their work in the 80s uh, is them working with a lot of, uh, they worked with a lot of rock artists, pop mm-hmm. rock artists. Yeah. Uh, David Bowie and Mick Jagger, Robert Palmer. Uh, they were even on the Vaughn brothers, uh, album, Stevie Which Ray is, and Jimmy. I imagine it was a, a pretty cool experience <laughs> <laughs> to get to work with Stevie Ray Vaughn, who would be an inter- interesting topic. Yeah. One of those, um, gone too soon. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also working on their own, like other projects, like uh, with the the power station. Yeah, that and so that was interesting. The power station, um, of course, their one of their bigger hits was a cover. Some like it hot. Some like oh, it hot. They and did then do get it on. Get it on. on. Yeah. Uh, man, I forgot about the power station. <laughs> power station, a super group with uh, Robert Palmer, um, one of the Taylors from Duran Duran. Yeah, he he played guitar. Um, um, Bernard Edwards, and who I think was Edwards and Rogers' secret weapon is Tony Thompson. Think so? Yeah. I think like though. For some reason, I I feel like I just how like their guitar playing, mm-hmm. Rogers' guitar playing is distinctive. Yeah, Edwards' bass playing is distinctive. Um, I feel like a guy like Tony Thompson kind of like. Uh, brought them together in a way that, like, I think the percussion is just as yeah. distinctive to their sound. Well, and now that I'm thinking, I am now that I'm because I'm thinking, I'm like, well, big drums, yeah, very big drums, big backbeats. Um, and it, he did bring so, of course, like, you know, that band was kind of all over the place, like, get it on, and some like it hot, like, some like it hot, of course, had like what sounded almost like a Latin feel to it, like, um kind of a conga feel in the in, on yeah. the back end but then like you know um the drums are huge so like he loved he loved his toms he kind of had a hollow snare yeah I, yeah that was he was unique I, I give you that yeah he was he was a very unique drummer um and uh we'll play uh something like you know this was this was uh like you may be able to find a lot of like a lot of what now Rogers did as a mm-hmm. producer, but this was Bernard Edwards project as yeah. far as a producer. Yeah. 
and I feel like um, a little bit of uh, there's a little bit of genre bending here with oh them. yeah, kind of a, like it's it's understated. Well, I mean, if you think about it, like what everyone brought to the table, you know, Robert Palmer, who's traditionally kind of a soul blues singer, he brings he brings that. Um, Andy Taylor, who's um, I mean, well, we know what Duran Duran is. Pop. <laughs> well, Duran Duran's all over. Well, I feel like they kind of, even though they're pop, they have a lot of pop new wave. They bring a lot of kind of stylistic changes too. Um, a lot of the music was heavily funk influenced. Like if you listen to a song like um, Rio. Those verses were very kind of funk influenced. Um, I will say too, in listening to this band, I realized he was a much better guitar player than I than I had probably given him credit for. Um, but yeah, this song, like listening to this song, <laughs> yeah, because so I was always more into "Get It On" than this song, and then I started to pay attention to the song, and I got into this song big time. I think with uh, with this song, and it, it it probably I feel like it took a long time for producers or record execs to figure out what to do with Robert Palmer. Yeah. I uh, listening to his stuff from the 70s, I'm like, uh, you, you, you're close. <laughs> you're close. Almost. But it doesn't feel right. Yeah. But, you know, this was after Riptide came out. Yeah. With Addicted to Love, Simply Irresistible. Uh, you know, it was finally a sound for him. Uh, both of those songs produced by Bernard Edwards, of yeah. course. Um, <laughs> But maybe it was Bernard Edwards who found something that he could put together for the for Robert Palmer to where he's not exactly a soul singer, but he's not exactly a rock, a rock sing. singer. Yeah. So, you know, trying to find someone who can kind of figure out what to do with him. Yeah. Uh, I've, it took a long time yeah. uh, to, to get there, but. This is when Robert Palmer was a superstar, and you know he yeah. finally had that success, that uh, that mainstream success. And um, you got to credit Bernard Edwards for getting him there. Mm-hmm. And so, of, of course, he did step in and played bass for them. Uh, I think it was between let me see here, ninety five and ninety six. But like you said, this was his, he was the producer at the beginning. I think it even said at one point acted as their manager. Yeah. So. Um, after John Taylor, he kind of came. Well, hold on. Who did they have between there and John Taylor? Yeah, he played after John Taylor left. He played bass with them. Okay. Yeah. Um. And there were some, uh, you know, not a lot has, I guess you could say, as far as what Bernard Edwards did, as far as producer. I mean, we know about Power Station. He mm-hmm. did a song for Kathy Dennis uh, from her first album. Um, and... Kathy Dennis, she had the uh, too many walls, right? That was yeah. one of her hits. Okay, okay. And uh, I think he did um, a song with David Lee Roth. Okay, I'm saying here he did some work with Joe Cocker. Joe Cocker, yeah. Um, the late Joe, Co- late great Joe Cocker. Dude, that was recent, wasn't it? Yeah, that was three. Well, four years ago is is, is still feels recent time. It goes <laughs> by too quickly, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and um. Might have been this band also called Spoons, but um, I guess the work they did together, uh, you're, you're talking about Sheik and Sister mm-hmm. Sledge and Diana Ross yeah, um, and Madonna. Yeah. Uh, probably now Rogers gets credit for Madonna more than Bernard Edwards. Not yeah, Now gets more credit, but <laughs> um, 
I was in the documentary that I watched, it was as if they were saying like, um, like a virgin is like the last chic album. <laughs> uh, they did make a few more after that, but not like that. <laughs> yeah. You know, once I think it was risque, uh, after that, they didn't really, they didn't have any more hits because of the disco backlash. Yeah. And so they kind of broke up and they started doing their own thing. But the thing was, even though they broke up and were doing their own thing, whenever they were producing for somebody, they would bring in the other mm-hmm. and Tony Thompson <laughs> to play on the song. Yeah. <laughs> you, you play with who you're comfortable with, you know? So it yeah. wasn't like they weren't friends. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, um, you know, it's, well, they don't want to hear chic anymore, but we can still write for others. Still frustrates me. They're that still the, musicians that happened that the, uh, the disco backlash, because there were some talented musicians in that genre. What's interesting. It feels like that only happened in America. Yeah, that only happened in America because high energy took off in Europe, yeah. and that was basically faster disco. Faster disco <laughs> in Italy, they like they love disco. Yeah, um, I think it only happened in America, and you know, part of the why this is an interesting topic, you know, with this being Black History Month, is I there think there were some racial undertones with it that are very understated, to where hmm. radio DJs felt that. Um, this music is too black. And even though white people are dancing to it, you know, it was like these black people are ruling, ruling the charts and no one wants to listen to rock music anymore. No one wants to listen to, um, you know, the, the pop artists of the seventies. I don't know. I I can't even think of who that would be either. (laughs) Or, or, you know, um, I guess like those teen idols, like leaf Garrett and, Sean Cassidy, Sean Cassidy, David mm-hmm. Cassidy, Cassidy, you know, um, or the, and the rock artists of, of that time too, if it was, you know, the early metal, you know, like Sabbath or, yeah. um, I can't even think of anybody else right now. Dio. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. But you know, um, Steppenwolf, uh, you know, Ew. <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't know, man. Steppenwolf. <laughs> oh god for and for he's more than just he's steppenwolf is we're not talking about the superman villain we're talking about the magic carpet ride and yeah born to be wild born to be wild yeah that's that's their song born to be wild because i laugh because in my head i'm thinking of the villain from justice league <laughs> how like that's probably like you know like steppenwolf's going to play oh i wonder if they got their name from the villain nah <laughs> but um the 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 rock artists or the you know the rock DJs are mm-hmm. feeling you know getting in their feelings feeling offended. Rock DJs will always be offended. They will always get in their feelings. Kiss Kiss is another one. They tried to make a disco album, didn't they? I think they did. Yeah, I was, was made for love. <laughs> I think they did they make did. one. They did make a disco record. Yes, I I forgot about that. They did. And you know they the the DJs and the fans of those radio stations felt offended. So. That came to a head with the the disco sucks incident, where at a White Sox game, um, you could if you had a vinyl record of a disco album that you wanted destroyed, you got into the game for ninety eight cents. Oh God! And it was a double header, so between games they uh they blew up though they destroyed those albums, and uh, 
there was a lot of other shenanigans. I don't know if they had to forfeit the second game because <laughs> it was between games. So um, I don't know if they had to forfeit the second game, but definitely that was like the the um, the beginning of the end hmm. for the disco era. And what's interesting is that Sheik never saw themselves as disco artists. Uh, they saw themselves as as funk R and B. That's what I felt like they were. But I mean, there's but, so many similarities. So you can. But because it's being played, you know, with other disco mm-hmm. uh, songs, you know, they kind of, they get lumped in there. Yeah. And I mean, I think they would consider themselves disco artists, but I don't think that's what they consider themselves like solely. No, I don't think so. Because they're more than that, though. They're yeah. I mean, and that, but that, and that still happens though, where, cause, so we talk all the time about how, oh, the record company didn't know what to do with them. And like, people realize that's a thing. Like typically yeah. if a record company, unless you're like a breakout talent, like a prince or someone, you know, like that, typically your record company's trying to find a place to put you. And if they can't find a place to put you, they typically don't put you. <laughs> Your album will, you know, will you either a don't make the album or you just sit in development. You lag in development hell, so to speak, um, until they can figure out what you are. And so for some artists that can kind of be unfortunate and you do it to kind of go along and make some money. But you can get put into a genre where you're like, I don't fit here. Well, yeah, like we um, we talked about this. Uh, it it comes back to the new edition story again. <laughs> every it feels like every time, man. So um, if you all know about Johnny Gill. Before he joined New Edition, he was a solo artist and mm-hmm. he had a couple of albums, but he was doing like these ballads. Mm-hmm. He was doing um, these like Quiet Storm songs, and he's fairly young to be doing these songs. And he has this big, powerful voice, but it it was kind of like Robert Palmer. Yeah, yeah. You're close, but it doesn't feel right. <laughs> yeah. And... It wasn't until he he got in a new edition and working with Jimmy Jam and Terry Lewis to where they were able to figure out something for him. Mm-hmm. And and that's when he had his great success with his self-titled solo album that came out in like 1990. Yeah. But, you know, it's one. Yeah, it's just one of those things to where if a record company doesn't if you're thinking so traditionally and trying to put someone in a box, uh, it's going to be hard for that person to have success. Mm hmm. Uh, because you're trying to put them in something, but their skill set doesn't exactly fit yeah. uh, what's going on. And if you get big enough now, like, I mean, like a prince who was able to do whatever he wanted, or even, you know, since we're talking about her in this sense, like a Madonna, who, if you listen to her early stuff, her first album, you know, Madonna, the self-titled sounds different from the second one, like a version that she did with Nile Rodgers sounded different from what she, you know, would do later in the, in the nineties where she kind of went a little bit more adult contemporary. And then she did bedtime storage, which was like an R and B album where she worked with, you know, Babyface, and then yeah. ray of light, which was a techno album. She that she William Orbit. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, and of course by that time she's got her own record label and everything. She can do whatever and she, she got wants. the, she got to the point to where she could change it up anytime, and, she, wanted. anytime she wanted to. Yeah. Right. She got to, you know, it's, and it's hard to get to that point. Yeah. Even. And, but, and I feel like Sheik probably yeah. never got a chance to get there. It was like, you're disco. I'm like, man, we're more, <laughs> we're a little bit more than just disco. <laughs> like, nah, you're disco. And so it's, you know, I imagine it was probably hard to break that, you know, that yeah. mold. Once and you even if there. you know, within yourself, you're, you're more than what people are defining you yeah. as. It's, uh, it's hard to break out of that. 
because disco is so, um, I, I don't know about so much now, but at the time that was a pretty polarizing style yeah. of music. Well, even just looking at, so, and this is kind of like what I always, you know, when we talked about kiss, when they did their disco song, they got like skewered for that, man. <laughs> like yeah. people like, ah, oh, how dare you? You guys are rock legends. You did a disco song. They're probably like money. <laughs> well, like, uh, now writers and writers and Edwards produced for Debbie Harry. Yeah. And, what was that song they did? The um, Rapture. Yeah, Rapture, yes. But the song that got them like, that what they caught hell was Heart of Glass. Yeah, which was straight. That's dis- straight up disco. That's disco. And they were, they were like, you know, punk. Yeah. New wave. That's a straight up disco song. That was played at Studio 54 really while someone did a line. Yeah. So, you know, uh, I, I mean, it's a, it's a pol- it was a polarizing genre at the time uh, because of the, um, like I said, how rock DJ is getting in their feelings. Yeah. And. Um, and if you still don't think they are, go go turn on a rock station right now, and just give it. A, they'll just yeah. say the word disco, like they and watch them cringe. Rock producers are. I remember when I was in survey of of, of uh, not survey, but um, it was a telecom class I was in, and we read about like different profiles of radio stations. Apparently, rock fans um, think they have the most diverse taste in music. But they actually don't. They have the most narrow taste in music, <laughs> but they think they have the most diverse taste in music and that they know the most about music when in actuality, like it, it said this in an academic textbook. It said that, that that's the rock fan. And I thought, and I was like, hmm, that is true. Most rock fans I know think that they have this huge, broad taste I listen in music. To rock, metal, heavy metal, <laughs> hardcore, emo, post grunge, <laughs> post grunge, grunge. New metal and folk <laughs> and country and by folk, like the folk as they go, is like Tom Petty. Like that's not that folk. Like that's, that's like being like, Oh, I listen to metal. Like, Oh, who do you listen to fuel? Like, that's not very, that's not metal at all, man. That's not really, nah, man, you don't listen to metal. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> yeah. But so, I mean, that does, it is unfortunate for, um, a band like a like Chic, who, in my opinion, sounded more funk than and there's a lot of bands like that back then who sounded more funk than disco, but they just kind of got placed in, you know, this that disco type sound. Like, oh yeah, you, will you do this? Because like to me, like real disco was like Heart of Glass or um, Hot Stuff. Um, who's that? Was that Donna Summer? Donna Summer. Yeah. Hot Stuff. What was that Gloria Gaynor song? I will survive. I will survive. Yeah, like that's disco. Don't rock the boat. Yeah. Uh, Lafreak, more, more, more. Lafreak is not, to me, this is not disco. Like, it's just a funk song. Like, it's just. I yeah. think, uh, well, it can be considered disco song because of some of the elements. Yeah. I mean, it's got some elements, the strings and. I mean, I, I, I mean, it can be considered disco, um, but it had it. But like funk is like, like disco is the cousin of funk. Yeah, that's that's. I think that's a pretty apt description. Uh, and, um, but like like we said, they were they were more than that. Yeah. Uh, but they could. But it was like a box they couldn't get out of. Yeah. Um. Okay, with uh, 
like you said, with the last, the last chic album that people considered, I thought that was so weird. That's why I keep saying, it. <laughs> uh, like uh, a virgin, like a virgin. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. I, they, I like I, to I, where I, like now Rogers is brought in mm-hmm. and, uh, he brings in Bernard Edwards to play. <laughs> he brings in Tony Thompson. He brings in his guys. And, um, they put this album together and, uh, kind of the, uh, I'm going to find the clip. We can play the clip here okay. as far as now Rogers, um, uh, why he didn't continue to produce Madonna. And of course he played guitar on all the tracks Yeah, because he's awesome. <laughs> but here's a story of uh, an awkward conversation with Madonna and the contract that they had the biggest hits with when collaborating with you like madonna you yeah. know material girl like a virgin yeah. you were the master behind a number of her biggest hits what was that like you know in retrospect what was that like it was my job <laughs> <laughs> it was my job it's not i mean you know it's it, it it only it only feels really special because of the magnitude of the hit i mean that right. record 21 million seller i think we had um and also Madonna's incredible personality. But at the end of the day, I was just doing my job. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't, you know, it, it wasn't like, oh, my God, I'm doing it differently today because it's Madonna. Um, as soon as I finished that record, well, the next record was Duran Duran. And right. that felt just as special. And I was just doing my job. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, speaking of Madonna, there was a HuffPost article that came out not so long ago where you said in an interview that Madonna approached you and was angry with you because you had, quote, uh, she said, why don't you want to F me? Right, right, no. Right. Well, what happened is that... Did that take out of context? What <laughs> yes, because... They, why didn't you want to? No, 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 no. Let, let's put it in context. Okay. All they had to do was add the two sentences before that. Okay. So the, the, here's how the, how the paragraph would go. So what happened is that we finished recording that particular day, and I think she was just feeling a little bit um, insecure, if you will. Uh, Remember, when I worked with Madonna, this was at the beginning of her career, so um, she was feeling a little bit insecure because I wasn't hitting on her. I guess everybody used to hit on Madonna. Now, there was a strategy. Well, you're a professional. Exactly. There was a strategy. Because, but come on, really, Niall? I mean, no, she was honestly, pretty beautiful at the beginning of her no, career. She's gorgeous. But, so here's how the story <laughs> went, exactly <laughs> verbatim. So we finished the session, and it went great, and I was leaving the studio, and she the walked guy out to, him to is the kind elevator of a jerk. went, Niall, do you think I'm sexy? That's what she said. She said, do you think I'm sexy? I said... She didn't say, why don't you want to... No, no, no. Let me finish. Okay. So it's a, it's a See, paragraph, right? Geez. She says, no, like, listen, do you think damn. I'm sexy? And I went, Madonna, what kind of question is that? Of course, you're like one of the sexiest women I ever met. Well, then why don't you want to... So that's what, so then, how it And then what did you say? I said, because I'm your producer. And she said, well, I didn't stop any of the other ones. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's, that's the paragraph. In the, in the article, though, you also say that one of the reasons is because you had an, a partner at the time who was also very big in the music industry as well. That was also maybe why you weren't doing that. But you didn't really divulge in the interview who that was. Um, I'm, a little, no, I'm a little confused with that one. No, because the, the, the thing was, is that, no, I didn't hit on Madonna, one, because... I mean, I knew sure. Madonna. I mean, yeah. she was, I wasn't her kind of guy. But also, I really believed that Madonna and I would be making records forever. I thought I was going to be, um, like, she would be my Beatles and I'd be, you know, her producer forever. I'd George be, Martin. like, you know, <laughs> her guy. So the last thing I wanted to do is have a relationship 
that felt like it was compromised. That was, mm -hmm. you know, I mean, you know, when you're the producer, at least in my, my way of thinking, if I have a point of view, I don't want to have, uh, I don't want the water to be murky right. because of our personal relationship. It's, it's like, uh, no, Madonna, you are not singing this very well. What do you mean? <laughs> you know, so no, it, it was it's just a professional. It's a professional way to handle things. I'm curious, why, why do you think it didn't turn out that you were her producer forever, that you... We'll come back to that. <clears throat> but... Um, that was funny. That was just really funny. <laughs> <laughs> it was. The, um, it was weird. Like, well, that didn't stop all the other ones. Yeah, like, what is she doing? Like, or I should say, who is she doing? <laughs> <laughs> well, like, well, uh, I think you, you, I told you about this. Uh, one of the other producers of her song, Stephen Bray, mm -hmm. she used to date. Mm -hmm. And then he was part of that band, The, Bre the, her, the, the Breakfast, Breakfast Club, yeah. which she was in. And she used to date the lead singer of that band too. So, one of her producers and her ex boyfriend are in a band together. Mm. That's funny. <laughs> that's a bit much, though. That yeah. That's... I wonder what he meant by like I'm not her kind of guy. I don't like know. she was into black guys. Maybe she he was too. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it was something else. Mm -mm. Um, maybe because he's a whole lot older. That, that's the only thing I ever think of. Yeah. Well, how old is she? I don't think they were. He's sixty-five. She's. Uh, I think she's like fifty-eight. She looks a lot older than that. <laughs> she's fifty-nine. She 59. ain't. Eight. Yeah. Well, I don't know then. Mm hmm. That's weird. I wish we could have seen more of what they did together, though. I think, man, that would have yeah. been. Like you, you, you look back on that album and you're just like, man, they could have, what they could have done, together. Yeah, but um, he said they brought in, he brought in his guys, and mm -hmm. they, uh, I don't know if that, that's probably her best-selling album. I don't think, I don't think she was able to, to catch that again. Let's see here. She had some other hits, of course, but I don't think she got back up to 21 million. Uh, 21 million copies, one of the best-selling albums of all time. Um, it became her first number one, which I guess isn't hard to do because it was her second album. So <laughs> eventually that was going to happen. Um, does not say if it was her best selling though. It has to be. Let's type in. What other album is considered one of the biggest of all time? It just, it won't say if it was her best selling. <laughs> it just says one of the best selling of all time, but won't say if it was her best selling. What was it? True blue. I don't think so. True blue was after this one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Sure. It was not true blue. <laughs> I'm pretty sure if you look at her discography, it was more than likely her best selling. If you look, the only other thing I could think of maybe might've been ray of light because it was at the era where just people were just buying records for no reason. Because people are just, I got money. <laughs> buy a record. Like, go buy a CD. So looking, uh, the first one worldwide sold 10 million records. Oh, um, maybe? <laughs> worldwide True Blue went sold 25. <laughs> what? <laughs> True Blue, then she came down to 15, 6, 8. Ray of Light sold 16 worldwide. Uh, music, uh, 
That sold 11 million copies worldwide. <laughs> Confessions to a dance floor, which I, I can see why that might have went 10 million worldwide because I think that was made. Confessions and, and Hard Candy were like, these were made to be international type albums, like yeah. heavily into le- electronic music, kind of like Ray of Light. But wow, True Blue, 25. Maybe that was the one that had Papa Don't Preach on it. I don't, I don't remember. Wow, she was at the she was at the height of her powers. Live to tell, Papa don't preach. True blue, open your heart. La Isla Bonita. Uh, okay, okay. I thought that was like, like Michael Jackson's bad to where, throw like, it just didn't. to where like you're not going to top this other one here. Yeah, but but yeah, it's um, but unfortunately, I don't, I don't think Nile Rodgers was on True Blue. I don't believe so. I was, I was all well. The person she started working with a lot after that was Patrick Leonard. Yeah, um, yeah. I know he wrote Live to Tell, which is one of my favorite songs. I, I, let me see who played on that, though, because I swear it sounds like he played guitar, but it was some dude named Bruce something. I can't pronounce his last name, so never mind. Anyway, yeah. um, so we'll go back to this interview really quick, and we'll find out why <laughs> the professional relationship didn't continue. It wasn't your Beatles. I honestly think, I mean, my sincere honest opinion is merely because of our contract Mm -hmm. um at the time we met i had i I just came off of um david bowie's let's dance album which was the biggest record of his career i had just done uh duran duran's reflex the biggest solo uh, single of their career uh in excess the biggest single of their career original i mean just right back to back to back so i was this hot guy in the business and she, she, her first album had already been out for a year or more, and at the time it had only sold 750,000 units, and it was a good record. I mean, really good. And it had Borderline and Holiday and all these great songs. I'm a huge fan of those songs. Yeah, they're great. It's a great yeah, album. The early it's great album. stuff, Borderline, Lucky it's Star. Killer. Lucky, it's, it's killing, incredible. right? So what happened was when we finally signed the contract, um, I said... And I, and I wasn't being egotistical. It was just that I had now gotten to know Madonna. So I said, you know, I could probably sell like five or six million albums with her. And they were laughing. They were like, what are you talking about five or six million albums? I said, yeah, no, I really believe it. And I said, I'm going to bet on myself. So I'm going to take this insanely high royalty and no advance. And if I make that number, then you have to pay me retroactively from record one. And if I do any subsequent projects with her, this is the royalty I get paid. Ooh. And it was an absurd royalty, <laughs> but but it was. But a you're big, living off the high horse but it, No, now. but it was a big claim, and yeah. we sold 21 million records. It was like, oops. Wow. So, <laughs> so he went from so of course there you know the first record in the U.S. sold five million records, ten million worldwide. So the second record, of course, when you know like a version, he's betting on himself, and of course they're looking at him weird, like you think you can sell five or six million. I guess, you know, they didn't expect U.S. 10 million. So they doubled the first album, 21, more than doubled for the for worldwide. So good gamble. Yeah. <laughs> Very good gamble. Yeah. Um, but then there's like, OK, we can't pay him that much for the next. <laughs> <laughs> we can't do that. So um, imagine what he would have made off of 25 million. Oh, man. <laughs> he might have retired. Yeah. <laughs> Um, there was some other, well, you mentioned in excess original sin. Uh, he also produced, uh, don't you want me by Jody Watley. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And there's some, it's some artists he produced, you know, I mentioned David Lee Roth and Debbie Harry. Uh, also, well, this is Bernard Edwards. He produced for ABC. Um, now Rogers produced Rome by the B 52s yeah, from that's... cosmic thing, which is one of their, I think their best, probably their best selling album. Yeah. Yeah. With uh, love shack. He didn't do Love Shack. Though. Little old place. <laughs> he didn't do Love Shack, but he did do uh, Rome, which was also a top 10 hit for them. Yeah. Um, David Bowie, of course. Uh, Duran Duran. Um, what do you think of, of his work with Duran Duran? I didn't know he worked with them. So it, it makes sense, though. I mean, I think a lot of their music has a, has a heavy funk influence. And that was probably a very cool experience for them. Um, I know he he worked on... Reach Up for the Sunlight, which was a song I really liked. Um, Reach Up for the Sunrise, excuse me. A song I really liked by them. But um, I am i don't know a ton about um, about Duran Duran's 80s stuff other than the funk influences. So I didn't really know what to think about it because I just I'm not that familiar with it. Well, like, uh, what he first started working with, uh, with re- the Reflex, he did uh, like a remix for them. Mm-hmm. because the way it was sounding, it just wasn't, it wasn't right yet, yeah. <laughs> but he did a remix for, of it. And, um, the flex, 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 flex of that part. Yeah. He put that in. Okay. And their, and, and their remix. Um, but what he did for them when he started working with them full time on notorious, I was about to be like, did he play on this? But I guess maybe not. <laughs> he did. Oh, he played. Oh, yeah, because they didn't have a guitar player. Yeah, they didn't have a okay, guitar player. Yeah, they yeah. only had three. They there were there were five members. They only had three. So basically, he was the guitar player <laughs> for this album. They sound so tight. And this is this is in the eighties. Yeah. This was uh nineteen eighty six. Yeah. That is some tight playing. I was listening to this earlier today, and I guess I did not listen to it through headphones because I did not hear how on that bass player and that drummer are. Nice. I wonder if now Rogers had anything to do with that. Mm. Mm. Let's see if see if, he, see if Bernard Edwards was in there somewhere. No, he, he didn't play on it. <laughs> Yeah, that sounds yeah. Uh, but yeah, this was uh, this became a hit for them. Another song sampled by Diddy. Yeah. <laughs> um, nice. But it has, it has that guitar. Yeah. And um, yeah, this was kind of a risk for them. But they were at a weird point in their careers, like two guys that just quit. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, who knows what they're, I mean, they still have the face of their band, uh, which was Simon LeBond, and they still had the brains of their band, which was uh, whichever Taylor it was. It was John Taylor. Okay, John so Taylor. He was the brains of their band. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so they were able to still carry on, but this was. This was a make it or break it, I think, album for them. We may have never heard from them again if this wasn't a success. And uh, I think they are very grateful of Nile Rodgers for that. Yeah. Man, yeah, that's very tight playing on there, man. That's 
But even so, like, and I guess maybe it just fits for this song, but like, it's still not as like, like as good as the bass and the drums sounded playing together, and as as on as they were, still not as like you notice it was not as fat of a bass sound as Bernard Edwards. Yeah, <laughs> like he had that, like that thick bass sound, you know. And I wish I was more of a bass player so I could comment on it. Um, maybe I, you know, know what he did and stuff like. Of course. You know, John Taylor's there is playing a slap technique there, but um, still, it sounds thin compared to to Bernard Edwards' bass playing. So, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, we talked about where there's more of Nile Rodgers than Bernard Edwards. Uh, he passed away in 1996 after. Uh, like she could play the show in Japan mm-hmm. and he wasn't feeling well. Yeah. The doctor said he should not have been, he should not have gone out there. He's like, I'm going to go out there. And then, um, the show, it went, it went okay. It's actually like, uh, there's a DVD. Yeah. Budokan, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that was, that was their last show. And now I went to get something to eat. It's like, he asked Bernard if you wanted to bring him some food. He's like, uh, no, I'm okay. I just need to rest. And that was the last time they spoke. Uh, it turns out he had pneumonia. Yikes! And uh, and he passed away um, uh, later that evening or the next the next day. Um, actually, like uh, his his base was bequeathed to Andy Taylor, the basis for the John Taylor. John Taylor. Okay. Um, so he he got he was given that base mm-hmm. after he passed. Um. So there was still a, uh, I mean, well, they worked together in power station. Yeah. Right. So, um, there's, there's that connection there. Uh, yeah, it looks like, so I'm reading, it looks like he played a music man stingray, Ernie ball, music man stingray. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's just something interesting, like just talking about. So since we are talking about, you know, two like serious musicians, even just looking at what they played. So, um, of course now Rogers and his, his, uh, finisher at a caster, his hit maker, um, the hit maker is what he called it. Um, never really changed very much. He's got a, you know, the consistent bass, I mean, guitar sound for the entirety of his career. And then looking at Bernard Edwards, um, let me see that. I'm going to type that in actually. Um, Stingray. Yeah. looks like he did. He played a music man, Stingray, which is, um, and that's what that looks like right there. Yeah. So, yeah. They make good bases. They make very good bases. They're very expensive, but <laughs> but when you're you know when you're famous, you got the money. Is that Bernard Edwards playing it right there? That is, yeah. So, um, maybe that's where he got the. Someone said he played flat wound bass strings. I don't know exactly what that means because I'm not a bass player. Um, maybe that helped getting that fat sound. But yeah, he had. I liked his bass sound. Yeah. Uh, one that was um interesting is that. With the the work with Sheik, um, the baseline for Good Times is um, one of the one of the most uh, important uh, baselines in hip hop history. Very we, recognizable. We did we did do an episode about the Incredible Bongo Band, yeah, and how that influenced hip hop. I think at the same time you can put good times up there as well i definitely think you can um so we'll play play that real quick yeah 
And uh, I don't know if this happened by accident or just like he just wrote it. <laughs> but the 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 engineer for during this session like heard it and he was amazed by it. And he's asked him like, Where, "Where'd you come up with that?" And Bernard Edwards is just like, "Oh, oh, you like that? <laughs> yeah, you thought that was good? <laughs> you know, just so nonchalant about it. I thought that was pretty cool to where, you know." It's hard to know that you're doing something important in the moment. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way of putting it, because I've always wondered, people who are recording things that go on to be huge, do you yeah. know at the moment that you're doing something that might be... Well, yeah, I'm, I'm interested in the moment, know, like, when you wrote it, when yeah. it came into your mind, and... Who knows? Yeah, to where it, it, it it's the right song, and it's going to turn into something. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm always interested in those uh, in those moments. Uh, this is from Risque, of course, um, famously sampled by the Sugar Hill Gang. Mm -hmm. So if you so to kind of throw back to what I was talking about when I said it sounds a little bit different, um, and I'm coming out. I'm coming out had more full bodied chords, meaning like you know, like on like what he's playing right now. Sounds like he's likely playing like the bottom three strings or the top three strings of his guitar a lot more. Then with um, I'm coming out, sounds like he's playing like you know four or five strings. Maybe the he's not playing that bottom E, but like on here he's sounds like he's playing that you know the E, D, and the G. Why can't I think of the strings on guitar? But the top three, he sounds like he's playing his his treble strings more than his bass strings. And on I'm coming out, sounds like he's throwing in some more bass strings on that guitar. Yeah. And this is what, but this is the quintessential Nile Rodgers sound. If you go, and, even if you go and listen to "Get Lucky," you can hear that sound. That's what I wanted to ask you about that as well because um, they didn't get a lot of recognition from the Academy as Chic, mm -hmm. but now Rogers, as far as with um, his work with Daft Punk, mm -hmm. uh, kind of like brought him back to the mainstream um, and probably introduced him to a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I think. Um, what do you think about his work with Daft Punk that kind of like do you think he what he did kind of led them to winning album of the year probably I mean I remember when that came out Um, I remember thinking like where did all these Nile Rodgers fans come from because <laughs> you had a lot of people who like when it was coming out they were like oh man Nile Rodgers is on here like they were really like I I felt and heard a fervor about that song that I had not seen around a Daft Punk song like ever. <laughs> like there were people that like, this was a highly, highly anticipated album. And, um, I remember seeing the video, which is weird. Yeah. For da I mean, I know there are a lot of fans of Daft Punk yeah. out there, but it was weird. It was very odd. Yeah. Like I, I just remember yeah. like, this is like this, but I mean, like it was a good song. And of course, like it reintroduces Nile to another generation. Yeah. Um, and you kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, the, you know, he's a really, he's a good guitar player. Like it's, you know, he's up there and he's, he's playing and he has a look that's all his own. Like you know it when you see him. He's got the dreads, he's got the, I don't think he was wearing the hat, but he's got the glasses and then he's got the hit maker. Only in this video, he didn't have the hit maker. He had something else that looked like it was made of glass. Like it was. <laughs> It was very, it was a very stylistic look, and then of course you know Pharrell's there, and I wonder 
whose idea was it? Like, was it like we got Pharrell? Hey, we should get Niall. Or was it Niall? Hey, we should get Pharrell. Like, it was probably Daft Punk's idea to get, uh, to get Niall. I feel like they were fans of his and they had, and Pharrell has been a fan of Daft Punk's. Okay. Uh, there was, um, on one of their albums, uh, it was a remix album. They remixed, uh, what was the song? Harder, better, faster, stronger. Okay, yeah. The one that Kanye said. Yeah. <laughs> Nep- the Neptunes remixed that song for a remix album. Okay. So they were fans of, he was fans of theirs at least. And, um, they were fans of Niles. So there is one song that he did as well. And it actually is my favorite song that he's done probably within the la- and within the last 15 years. It's not on Spotify, but if you can play it real quick, it's called together. It was a Sam Smith song, Sam Smith. And I believe Sam Smith and disclosure. He worked on, he did a song on that album, played guitar on it and produced it. And it's really good. Um, to be on Spotify and I would listen to it daily almost. Um, it's not play. Oh yeah, okay, we can play this one. Oh, yeah. So it's kind of got that feel, but you can kind of tell like he's he's doing a little, you know, he's doing some different stuff there, you know. Like he brought in like, you know, his rhythm track, then he put like a bit of a lead line over it. Nothing too complicated, but it just sounds different. And I was just like, man, he should have done an album with Sam Smith when I heard this. Like this was, this is my favorite Sam Smith song he's ever done. And I thought it was, it was amazing. It was lush harmonies too. So he throws in a little bit of jazz, the octaves there. Yeah. Yeah. So I just I love that though. You know he he comes on there and he does it, man. He does it. <laughs> um. Yeah. That was I was looking for that. I saw their discography, mm-hmm. uh, his production discography. I was looking for that. And I didn't. Yeah, they I took it off it. of Spotify for some reason. It used to be on there on a um album he did cuz he did another song. I don't think it was with Nile Rodgers, but it was called um Nirvana. It was yeah. kind of like a slowed down gospel filled type song. But um but yeah, like going back to Get Lucky, like I just the fervor around that like you know, being on Reddit at the time and seeing people posting about that song and that album almost daily updates about it and all this other stuff and then you know like i was like i didn't know anyone from daft punk played anything <laughs> like i didn't know i thought it was like come to me you know play my laptop live and next thing you know <laughs> they got the helmets on and they're up there jamming with Nile and, and pharrell so it was it was it was something different man it was yeah it was awesome and then just it blew up you yeah. know like it, it blew up and like it kind of shows you like you don't it doesn't have to be complex to be good right because it was there wasn't really anything complex about that song very straightforward good performances all around good melody yeah and uh, with that um i didn't know that it was 
uh, was weird to me. It's like, I, I didn't know Nile Rogers was on the song mm-hmm. until I saw like the actual like credits for it. Mm-hmm. I was like, Oh, Daft Punk made a song. It, it kind of sounds like, kind of sounds like chic. <laughs> <laughs> kind of sounds like a chic song. Yeah, and I did. I I kind of when I first heard it, I was like, "That's that that's Nile." Like I I like before I even saw it, I was like, "Yeah, that's him. He's playing on it." Like you can mm-hmm. just hear it. Like he like we said, he's got a very distinct style of playing. Yeah. That even though it is a funk style, you just know that's him. It's just somehow you know that's him. Just somehow. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think is the um? kind of the the lasting legacy of Edwards and Rogers. They were called the Lennon and McCartney of disco, as I mentioned. Yeah. What's interesting is that now Rogers was inspired by the Beatles to pick up a guitar. And then he got better. Than he them. got better than them. <laughs> <laughs> He's better. <laughs> I mean, if anything, like, if I'm looking at it from, from the standpoint of Chic, so looking at them as two people that play together, they know each other, which is why he probably brought in you know, Edwards to play on things because like, if you listen to them, they know each other so well, like Edwards knows that drummer very well. And then, um, Rogers knows how to move, you know, he knows, you know, where the downbeats, he knows where the, the syncopation is going to come from. And that just helps when you're playing, when you're playing funk guitar, that doesn't like, you know, like in a rock band and this isn't like, we're not dissing rock people just so you know that, but like in a rock band, it's kind of a straightforward, you know, four, four, you know, you play on this beat, you know, like acoustic guitar songs, you know, they all sound the same, you know, for the most part, the way in which you play the song, but with funk, it's a little bit more like you got to have a very strong rhythm section. And I think they sounded as far as like the interplay between Edwards and, and, and Rogers on guitar, they sounded really just well, they sounded good. And that's why I feel like it's a shame with a lot of these bands. Like they were very good musicians, you know, and these were, they were no exception. Um, I don't, and it's so sad. Like when when you think about the the disco sucks backlash, you know they were good musicians. Luckily, you know they found success elsewhere, but kind of sucks, you know. In the in the yeah in the moment, it's it's bad because you don't know what's going to happen with your career after yeah. you know you've been around the world, you made all this money or whatever. Um, they were able to find success as producers and songwriters. And what's interesting is that of the with the disco backlash, and then like twenty years later, <laughs> there's like this rebirth. Yeah, there's this interest again. Well, only in America, because as we said, it never really died outside of America. Yeah, it never did. It 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 kind of kept going. It, you know? it evolved. Yeah, but you could still hear the elements of it, and so just as we are on the um, and maybe that's where we're moving because now um, with the Bruno Mars album um. New Jack Swing is getting cool again, so maybe you know yeah. that's where we're going. Five years ago, we were at the disco rebirth era, <laughs> and we're just going forward in time. So look for grunge to make a comeback, people. Um, <laughs> um, so one thing I want you to do too: play um, um, La Freak because I, I like I like that song, and that's a really good example of, especially in the chorus where like all the instruments kind of drop out, and you hear Roger's guitar. Right there, yeah. Kind of a bluesy passage there. Yeah. Oh, we we, we, yeah. we haven't told the story of oh, how yeah, this song haven't. was written. 
so with um with the freak uh New Year's Eve 1977 I think they said they were uh Bernard and Niall were supposed to go to Studio 54 and they were going to be guests of Grace Jones who was performing there and they couldn't get in the doorman would not let them in uh even though they you know they told them they were guests of Grace Jones she uh, maybe didn't tell them tell the the people that you know those were her guests so they went home they started playing that night and they started uh playing this riff and the original lyrics were like ah fuck off it's a very nice way to insult somebody very catchy way um but they couldn't yeah so that's how the the original song went and they um i think like now said bernard just looked at me and was like you know this is happening right as far as like (laughs) this is going to turn into a song and um it did it became a number one hit in in america and many parts of the world but like if you listen like his chord changes bernard matches him like he's matching him there like it's a it's a baseline that moves around i just yeah they were they were in sync you could tell they played together for a while yeah most definitely um, another one of those songs to where, well, like we said with with Sheik, the vocalists were were the backing band. Yeah, <laughs> the front men were were Rodgers and Edwards. Uh, and for those who have seen the movie Roll Bounce, mm. uh, this was the song that the protagonist Bow Wow and his group <laughs> were going to skate to, but. Uh, the antagonist, if you will, Jonathan Wesley or Wesley Jonathan, whatever his name is, uh, his group went first, even though that, that movie didn't make sense. <laughs> I'm going off on a tangent here. I know, but it didn't make sense because how was Wesley Jonathan's group? They're the defending champions, right? How are they going second to last? Why is Bow Wow group? Why is he? Why is his group going last? No one's ever seen them before for movies, and it's set up to where like, oh, they go second, and it's a, and it's a tie, and they put in that like, they put in that little thing to where like, oh, they took our song. Like, why are they? Why aren't they going last if they're the defending champions? It didn't make sense. All I can think of that- is. Plot holes and roll bounce. That's what we're talking about on By the Time You Use Podcast. <laughs> All I can think of, you had broken my camera. <laughs> oh, God. I'm feeling skinny, Tony. Okay, I'm going to stop. But, no, but yeah, no, that that is that is a big plot hole. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah. Um, it's the, Okay, so it's, it's, on their Wikipedia page, it's, it says all the movies it's been used on. Yeah. Heavyweights, Mystery Men, 102 Dalmatians, Dickie Roberts, former child star, Sh- um, Shrek 2, It's Pat, <laughs> Son of the Mask, Roll Bounce, Diary of a Wimpy Kid, Furry Vengeance, Toy Story 3. I, I don't remember it in Super 8. Um, I've never seen Think Like a Man 2, and I don't want to. Yeah, Tyler Perry presents this plan. I know it's not, but... It's Steve Harvey. It might as well be. his book. Yeah, <laughs> but um, I think with them, they're—I mean—they are disco legends, but they then then they turned out to be more. Yeah, uh, I think that's what's important, and that—that's why it was an interesting topic to me, mm-hmm. um, because they were they were funk, 
they get lumped into disco and then they turn into these pop rock producer gods pretty Mm -hmm. much during the eighties. Um, and then now Rogers, um, comes back, you know, it's a comeback of sorts, you know, with working with Daft Punk because he had some, there were some, um, there were some duds. I wanted to ask Benny if you, if he thought that some artists felt guilty after working (laughs) with him, because there's a Sheena Easton album, Sheena Easton that flopped. There was a Jeff Beck album that flopped after he tried to, you know, do pop music and start singing. That's their fault. No one really wanted to hear that, I guess from Jeff Beck. (laughs) Um, if you take that yeah. risk to make a pop album and you fail, that's on you. That's not their fault. That's on you. You should, I mean, like it doesn't work for everybody. It's just not going to. So that's on you. If it flops, you'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, that will do it for our discussion on Rogers and Edwards. Um, yeah. Check them out, man. Chic, not just chic, but also David Bowie and mm-hmm. Duran Duran and uh sister sledge um diana ross too. diana to, ross to an extent yeah sugar hill gang <laughs> yeah you know uh they they have their fingerprints on a lot of songs um we said sugar hill gang sample good times um miami no wait not miami getting jiggy with it samples he's the greatest dancer mm-hmm. and um there was another one Oh, I'm coming out. Sample by D for Mo Money, Mo Problems. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like there's another one. It probably is. Yeah. Oh, My Forbidden Lover was sampled by uh, um, Luther Vandross. Oh, okay. And um, Soup for One was sampled by Mojo. It's a song called Lady Hear Me Tonight. I don't think I know that one. Yeah. Um, we'll play it for you later. <laughs> but um yeah so we'll get to my earworm of the week uh this song was on my the spotify discover weekly playlist um a couple of weeks ago i added to added it to the infamous we lit playlist we lit. and it is a song by um an artist named mont jake and it's called daydreaming uh the percussion sounds like if you listen to the corner by common mm-hmm. from kanye west it's the same drums. I don't know where that's exactly sampled from. Um, but, uh, yeah, I really like the song and, um, we're going to play it as soon as I pull up the earworms playlist. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, this is called daydreaming from, uh, it's a single as of right now, but, uh, we'll play that song and we'll be right back.
Alright, that is Daydreaming by Mont Jake. It's a single, and you can find it on our Earworms playlist right now. And it's on the We Lit playlist. <laughs> Alright, that will bring us to the end of our program. And now we're back on the screen. Hey, <laughs> what's up? All this right. is so cool. <laughs> uh, so, Ben... Can you tell the people where we can be found? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're watching us, um, and by the way, let us know what you think um, of the you know of the of the Facebook lives. I don't think we ever really asked for feedback there, so let us know what you think. You know, if anything we, we added add. production value. I mean, like you know, <laughs> do you want Greg to wear a crazy hat? <laughs> <laughs> do you want to see us dance? If so, too bad we're not going to dance. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you are watching, thanks for watching. And if you are Would watching. Would you like us to change the color of our windscreens for our microphones? Ooh. You know what I thought about doing? Getting the actual, like, screen screen and putting it in front of it just to make it a little different. <laughs> um, but if you are watching, you found our Facebook page. And we do, we do appreciate that. Um, yes. Facebook.com slash by the time you hear this. Um, the website is called by the time you hear this dot com. Um, check it out go you know on there and look and, and all that stuff and it's awesome um if you want to find us on instagram ig as the young folks call it um you can find us at by the time you hear this so the website and the facebook page are spelled with the word you the instagram and our email at gmail.com are spelled with the letter u and that is because we're upstanding yes we are and not under investigation 13 russian nationalists mm. have been indicted it's only up, a matter of time. Be uh-oh. patient. Just be patient. Upstanding. I want to get like a <laughs> something to say that. <laughs> Just I think that'd be very funny. Um, if you will, um, so yeah, hit us up um, on email. You know, you can email us. You can um, follow us on you know Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook. Leave comments if you want to listen to us. Um, you can listen to us from the website on Podomatic, iTunes, um, Google music excuse me google music not google play google music yes um satchel podcast player cast box auto radio tune in radio um i think i got them all we always go through this we should know the we we need to know our lines yeah we need to know (laughs) greg's been an actor i don't i don't know what you're i know know. it's been a long time man hey man i I (laughs) I perform with lyrics in front of me But check us out, um, you know, and, and like we say, you know, leave us a review. Um, if it's funny enough, maybe we'll read it on the air. <laughs> That'd be funny. So, yeah, thanks for stopping by and sharing your Friday evening with us. All right. Uh, well, that'll do it for our program. Um, so what should we end the show with? Uh, let's see if we get lucky. All right. Yeah. So we'll end the show with. Daft Punk's Get Lucky featuring Pharrell and Nile Rodgers who I originally thought was from the UK I was so wrong that's uh, yeah that's kind of a British name Nile yeah yeah and then Rogers like that's <laughs> Rogers with a D yeah with yeah. a D like that is very British that's yeah where his parents from <laughs> look that up <laughs> <laughs> alright so while Ben looks that up we're gonna go ahead and end the show uh, so Thank you, everyone, for listening, and we'll talk to you very, very soon. Peace. Peace.
with beginnings What keeps the planet spinning Ah, uh, the force from the beginning 